five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso Experience. What's going on there, Connie Corso family? It's your boy, Johnny Doe, coming at you with the Connie Corso Experience, where we talk everything about training tips, the overall experience of Connie Corso ownership, which is, uh, you know, everything to do with your Connie Corso. We might talk a little nutrition, talk about everyday behavior things, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and overall advice on the experience of Conic Corso ownership and to get the most out of your Conic Corso experience. Okay. Uh, I have a Conic Corso named Romulus who is two years old uh, next week. <clears throat> and uh, I am not a professional trainer, behavioralist, nutritionist, or any other ist. I am a podcast hobbyist, um, but I am a dog lover a lifetime dog owner, and I believe that the community of dog owners need each other, especially with this breed, and I just want to be a resource to help you guys have a uh, communication outlet for all things to do with the experience of ownership of a Cane Corso. Now, this podcast focuses mainly on the everyday casual pet owner. This isn't for people trying to do bite work. I'm not a breeder. This isn't people that show dogs. This isn't people that try to have AKC champions. That's all well and good if that's you, but that's not really what we try to talk about uh, in this podcast. We talk about real dog stuff and real dog owners, not people that put their dog in a kennel or board them in some special boarding facility while they do their own thing. This is for people that their dog might sleep with them. Maybe they uh, it, they are like me where I pulled the back seat out of my truck and built him a special platform because the only thing that goes in the back of my truck is my dog, Romulus. I do everything with him. He's my best friend. So that's what this podcast is about. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into some of the topics of discussion for this episode. Um, before I get into that, I usually do some official, unofficial sponsors from time to time. Now, what is a official, unofficial sponsor? Well, I don't make any money at this podcast. Nobody sponsors me, uh, which means that I'm free to talk about whatever I want because I'm not beholden to a company, a corporation, advertisers, yada, yada, yada. So what I do is products that I use that I enjoy, I share with them on this platform so you guys know that you're getting an unbiased opinion. Doesn't mean it's gonna work for you, doesn't mean it's the all in be all, but I do spend a significant amount of money on my dog, no matter if it's food, supplements, vitamins, um, training uh, things, training courses, training aids, um, collars, leashes, toys, you name it, I've spent a small fortune on all my dogs, uh, but especially my Connie Corso. That's part of the fun of dog ownership, in my opinion, is you can spoil the poop out of your dog. 
uh, and you don't have to worry about them growing up to be shitty people that are going to cut other people off in traffic. <laughs> That's what, uh, you know, if you have kids and you spoil them, there's going to be repercussions, but you can spoil your dog as long as you are structured and disciplined in, in your training and in your home life where they know that you're running the show, they don't walk all over you. It's okay to give them stuff when it's appropriate. Okay, so my first unofficial sponsor, official unofficial sponsor uh, for this episode is, I think I talked about in the last episode, I'm going through a training series by Mike Ritlin. Um, he's the one who wrote the New York Times bestselling book, Team Dog, and I'm going through his training series, but I've um, thought I would try out some of his products, and he has a uh, dog food um or a company called Tricos, and they make some dog foods and treats and stuff like that. I've been using his dog treats and his dog food. And so far, uh, Romulus is doing really well. If you've listened to this podcast, uh, some previous episodes, you know that much like a lot of Cane Corsos, Romulus is a, an extremely finicky eater. So anytime I can find something that he's extremely excited for, and it's healthy, um, Excuse me. Uh, I like it. Why? It's 30% protein, 40% fats, and there's um, there's it's good, complete nutrition. Uh, it's raw, uh, dehydrated, um, so it's like the freeze-dried raw stuff, and it's really good because you can break it up and use it as treats or you can use it as part of the meal. It is pricey. It's a little spendy, but what I have... Uh, been using it for is Romulus. I do a lot of training with him and the training treats. I, 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 I took a tip from Mike Ritlin and said, Hey, especially if your dog's a finicky eater, um, instead of, you know, filling his belly full of training treats, especially if you're doing lots of training, use dog food, um, as your training treats. Well, after a while, regular kibble Romulus was, wasn't having that. So finding something that he enjoyed, that was very high in nutritional content. Um, and if you train your dog a couple times a day like I do, then that kind of supplements part of their diet as well. So uh, I, I'm using that with a couple other brands and trying to figure out, trying to dial in the right ratio and combination. But um, maybe I'll share some of the other brands once I can kind of vet them a little bit better. But uh, the Trico stuff seems to be um, spot on and uh, I'll let you know uh, long-term, you know, if he starts to get finicky with it or anything like that. So for now, I like it. I enjoy it. And why I like it and enjoy it is because, you know, you're reading the label and you see that that high-fat content is is important, um, especially for working dogs. Dogs, if you have a very active dog, um, then you don't want way too much protein and, and not enough fats. You kind of want to inverse that. So like I said, I'm not a nutritionist, but just from what I read and and uh, I do a lot of research, that's what I'm going with. I'll let you know if I see anything that's, uh, you know, anything that, that needs to be addressed. But, you know, having uh, the healthy fats really helps their coat, helps their teeth, helps their eyes, helps a lot of different things, their skin. So let's move on. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, in this episode, I have a, a few different bullet points that I wrote down 
things that I wanted to remember to talk about. So I spend some time on the forums. Now, I don't comment a lot on the Conic Corso forums on Facebook, but I do read a lot. And sometimes I don't interject just because um, if you're like me, you might have had some bad experiences with the forums that, you know, God forbid you say something that somebody doesn't agree with. And sometimes can people people can be a little hostile. And uh, I don't like getting into it with people over dog stuff. You know, there's politics and religion if I want to argue I don't want to argue about dog stuff because everybody has different experiences, okay? I'm not an expert, but I also know what I've experienced and, you know, there's a lot of people that want to delegitimize you just because your experience is different than theirs, okay? Now, I don't want this podcast to be negative, so I'm not going to focus on that, but I'm saying that's why I spend a lot of time there, but I kind of lurk in the background. Every once in a while, I'll interject some stuff if I see that people aren't getting the advice that they need, but... For the most part, I think people get some pretty good advice. All right, with that being said, one of the topics, um, since I have this forum, I like to take a couple of those topics that I see or maybe things that people message me personally and have questions about. And I say, okay, if, if it was me, how would I handle it? And like I said before, feel free to interject if you would handle it differently um, this is just my opinion and how I've handled it. And I try not to get too much into the, um, into a hypothetical. It's usually, I try to just address things that I've actually dealt with because anybody can say, this is what I would do. But if you haven't already done it, then, you know, it doesn't have a lot of credibility. Okay. So, um, today I read a couple comments. Hold on. Let me take a drink. I got to keep hydrated, you know. So I saw a couple comments of a young lady. I'm not going to say her name because, yeah, I I don't want to put people's name out there that maybe don't want it on a podcast. But she was saying um, she was doing some basic obedience stuff. And she was like, hey, it's not a big deal, but my dog had a huge victory I think it was trying to get her dog to stay when other dogs were walking by and not barking and lunging at him and stuff like that. And she goes, I know it's not that big of a deal, but, but, um, you know, it, it's nothing to brag about, but it's a start. And it really made me think about some of the things I'm doing with Romulus right now, because first off I replied to her and I said, you know, you're dead wrong. You need to be extremely excited about your accomplishment and proud, not only of your dog, but proud of yourself. Basic obedience training, if you don't get that dialed in, then you can't ever get to some of this advanced stuff. She commented, she goes, I feel stupid posting this because I see people with all these great training videos and I know that this is just real basic stuff. And my retort to her was, well, none of that advanced stuff Uh, It would all be meaningless if you didn't have the basics dialed in. And to feel very confident about that because it means what you're doing is working. It means that you are enabling yourself to be a great leader in your pack, a great uh, mentor to your dogs, uh, as well as other people, maybe in your family uh, that that, that is working with your dogs. And there's nothing like, proof of concept that, wow, this actually works no matter what your training methods are. Because when you have those victories, you can build upon them and you go, well, I, 
I know that this works and no one can, can tell you that it doesn't because you've experienced it for yourself. As a new trainer or, uh, and we're, like I said, we're all trainers, okay? You don't have to be a professional, but if you're a dog owner, then you should also be a dog trainer because you need to be training your own dog. As uh, new trainers, we have a lot of um, ideas. We have a lot of theory, but we don't have experience. Once you start getting some experience where you go, I know this works, then the next time you apply something, you can cut the fat out and go right to what actually works. And it feels really, really good, especially if you've had to modify some things or figure out a way that it works best for you. And maybe it's not exactly like someone else um, shared with you. Maybe you found your own method. And that's always a really good feeling. So congratulations on that to all of you out there that have have gotten uh, gotten those, those little victories. And it got me thinking because recently... Romulus, you know, he he went to puppy training and basic obedience training and advanced training and all this stuff, right? And I've been working with him for, uh, you know, at least just from a training standpoint over a year and a half. And um, I was starting to get into some advanced stuff and realized after starting my training series with Mike Ridlin, I decided to go back through some of the basics and realize that some of his basics weren't as locked on as I thought they were. Meaning that, and when I say the basics, I'm talking about everything from recall to sit to stay, heal, um, lay down, all that stuff. Because that really is your foundation. And so heal in particular, he was really good with the heal command if he was kind of walking behind me Um, I would give him either heel or side. Side means go to my right. Heel means go to my left. And um, he he knew if I can go heel and then I say side and then heel and he would go back and forth. Well, one thing I found out because I never really tested it, that if he was, if I gave him a front and he was sitting in front of me or let's say he was in a sit stay in front of me and I gave him a heel and I was facing him, he didn't know what to do. He kind of came right in front of me. He didn't come uh, around and position him correctly. He was facing the wrong direction or he was sitting right in front of me. And I was like, oh shit, he doesn't know how to heal unless we're both facing the same direction or he's coming from kind of the side or the back. And I realized that he got really confused. And so I realized that, okay, even though he had the basics of heal, he didn't really understand what heel meant. He meant he he knew what it meant when he was behind me, but he didn't know what it meant if he wasn't. And so I realized that he really didn't know. Okay? It's kind of like if you're teaching arithmetic to a kid and you teach, you know, four plus four um is eight. <laughs> so how bad is that that I had to think about that? <laughs> that four plus four is eight. You know, um, they might you might think that they understand it until you break it down. Okay, what's two plus two plus two plus two? You know, and then they 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 all of a sudden don't know what it is because they haven't broken down what four is. They need to know four is two plus two, and that two is one plus one. And so they can always get to that. No matter if you give them all ones, 
twos combinations they can they can add all those ones and twos they they don't didn't just memorize that four plus four is eight if that makes sense and so he it's like he had it memorized what heel was from a certain position but but anywhere else out in the world or you know on a 360 degree axis he didn't know and so we've been working diligently for about mm, a little over a week and he's finally starting to get it where I can give him heel facing any direction and he comes around he kind of he'll he'll come all the way past me turns around and then sits right next uh, right next to me on my left side you can tell it's starting to click now he's only about 75% right now meaning that if I do it four times he'll get it three out of four what do I think my audience is idiots I gotta explain what 75% is <laughs> sorry about that I used to be a school teacher I'm used to dummying it down and I'm in the military so you know you always have to uh, you know uh, we, we call it Barney style in the military break it down Barney style so I apologize I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence but anyway he gets it, you know, 75% of the time. So I know there's still some more work. And I know if the heel's messed up, then we're going to work on the side. We're going to work on a lot of other different things. But so what I'm focused on now is dialing in those basics and making sure that they are, he's super proficient at them. Not just kind of, you know, lazily doing it, but he's really locked on. Then when I go to more advanced stuff, that those fundamentals and that being locked on is going to increase his uh, success rate at a, at the higher level stuff. So, um, you know, sometimes you got to take a step back to take a couple steps forward, and that's what I'm doing right now with him. But it's still gratifying because I'm glad I identified that. I'm I'm glad that I was doing that training series um, and watching you know the uh, professional how he does it. And then it made me go, okay, well, let me work with Romulus and, and identified some blind spots. So um, that's that's a good thing. But the point that I'm trying to make is uh, don't get discouraged out there um, when you're having some difficulties. But when you do have some success, um, celebrate it and be excited. But, but don't do like I did and, and start to let up and go, okay, they know this and move on to the next thing. Keep reinforcing that. And the reinforcement doesn't take near as long as the actual training, but you definitely need to, to, to test it every once in a while and make sure that those skills stay sharp, okay? Um, next thing I want to talk about is I got an email from a listener that uh, or a message on Facebook. Uh, they just got their first Kane Corso, um, and he... He has a female, and it's kind of smaller in size. I think he said that his dog is, I want to say, 10 weeks old and like 12 pounds, really small, okay? And so I, I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about this. Now, you know, Connie Corso breeders, um, owners, uh, aficionados are, are much like any other people that are into any other large or giant breed dogs that for a lot of them size matters okay now my dog is 154 pounds i have a scale now i can weigh him every day so about once every other day i'll weigh him 
And it, uh, one of the reasons I do that and, and my other dog as well is just for health reasons, just to, I just want to maintain, uh, their, their weight, make sure that what I'm, especially since I'm experimenting with some nutrition, some diet, that their weight's not getting thrown too low or too high or anything like that. So he's 154 pounds. Now people are like, wow, that's huge. Well, your dog needs to be proportionate weight to height. You know, my dog is very tall and uh, he's not huge. He's not like overly muscular. He's definitely not fat. He's definitely slender. And, you know, there's certain uh, things that you should be looking at. You should be able to see the bottom of the rib cage. You, you know, their belly should be somewhat flat. You should see that nice round, you know, from their kind of chest and then it kind of thins out uh, toward the back. You should be able to, you know, have a nice, nice flat back. You should be able to feel part of their spine, especially when they sit. Um, you know, like I said, the ribs showing uh, when they're just standing or walking, you know, the bottom part of the rib cage. Um, so with that being said, he I know what weight he should be at relative to, he's just a bigger uh, kind of corso, but that's not necessarily good. Um, and I've said before, he's not the best example of a like a really st- uh, stellar quality in, in, in a breeding program he has a great head great face um, he has a great overall body but his legs are not structured properly he has some dysplasia he has what's called easty westy you know where his front paws are kind of facing outwards a little bit and so he's definitely not um, a specimen by any stretch of the imagination where you would say this is what you want in your breeding program. I love him to death, and that's fine with me because I'm just a pet owner. It's just something to be aware of when you're looking at health issues, and one of the reasons why I do what I do as far as his exercise protocol and his nutritional supplements is because just addressing some of those things that are concerned now and will be in the future as he gets older. So is 12 pounds at 10 weeks small? Yes, it's extremely small, but it doesn't mean that your dog's not healthy. What it means is um, you could have, one, the run of the litter, two, it's a female, and three, some bloodlines of um, lines of Connie Corsos are on the smaller side. Some of them are on the larger side. Um, Some of the uh, European Connie Corsos are smaller than the Americanized. (laughs) How ironic that the American ones are bigger and fatter. No, joking. But not really. I mean, there's so many. You know, so let me explain to you this way. Anytime a a breed catches fire, and Connie Corsos, I would say, are, are right around right around now is when it's starting to really, really pick up steam and gain in popularity. Why? One reason is AKC recognizes them. They've been in the dog show for a couple of years. There's a lot more media and or just. Um, pomp and circumstance about the breed. There's a lot of people getting them, you know, they're out there in the media, books, all that other stuff. And so it's starting to come around. For instance, if you're a fan of the the TV show on HBO, Game of Thrones, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Um, one of the main villains, Ramsey Bolton, he has hounds that he he feeds his hounds like people. He'll, he'll have his hounds kill people and eat them. And his hounds are Connie Corsos. <laughs> so anyway, my, my point is that they are starting to get popularized when that happens. A lot of bad breeding programs pop up. 
uh, backyard breeders. For instance, I advertise on Facebook this podcast. You might have seen some of my ads. I have videos of Romulus. So my most recent one, I, I did like a 30-second montage video of him growing up You know, over the last couple of years. And I put in there Connie Corso experience, the link to Spotify, all that stuff. And I probably get a couple messages and emails a day asking if they can buy a puppy for me or am I a breeder? And so if I was a breeder, wow, I just got lots of customers. So I'm sure that that's very enticing for people to say, wow, I got to get a, I can get a couple Connie Corsos. I can be a backyard breeder and I can get you know, sell puppies for anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars a pop being a brand new breeder. Cause there's people that they don't give a shit about papers and all that other stuff. You can just, if you can show it's a purebred, voila, I'll sell you a dog for a thousand bucks. So, um, with that being said, there's a lot of lines out there that, um, might be on the bigger side and then some that are on the smaller size. And there's, there's a lot of variety in the DNA that's floating around out there right now. So it's not as controlled as maybe it was in previous years. And so you might have, you might've got one that's just smaller. Some dogs are just smaller. Now, you know, the breed standard for a female is only 85 to 90 pounds. So if, you know, if they're only 12 pounds at 10 weeks, well, you know, it might be on the smaller side, but when it's fully grown, it might still hit that 90 pound mark. So, um, the big thing is making sure to just get it health checked making sure that it's healthy, uh, make sure it doesn't have, you know, it gets its uh, vaccinations, that you're giving it proper nutrition, you're not overdoing, playing with it too rough, all the different things you want to do with a new puppy, especially of a, of a giant breed or a large breed dog. Um, so even though it starts off small, it could, it could pick up and, and still grow big. It's it's not always an indication just getting the biggest dog that it's going to be the biggest dog always. It's, that's not always the case. So um, just make sure as long as it's healthy, then who cares how big or small it is. And he even said, I think that that's going to be a perfect size for his family. And that's still a very big dog. And um, it shouldn't matter how big. Like me, I, I picked out Romulus because his paws were enormous. And yeah, I like big dogs and I wanted him big, but I just... I just thought he'd look goofy with those big old paws. That's one of the reasons I picked him. But um, I thought he was only going to be about 125 pounds because his parents, I met both of his parents. Uh, His dad was like 125 pounds. His mom was like 110 pounds. And Romulus is 154. So I don't know what happened. So, you know, uh, you can't do anything to make your dog grow bigger than what it's going to be. It's all genetics. So it's just like you. I mean, you can stunt growth, you know, make your dog smoke and not uh, eat nutritious, I guess. But like human beings, you know, you can't like, it's not like if I ate more vegetables, I'd be bigger. I'm like 6'1", 200 pounds. So I wouldn't be 6'3", if I just ate better when I was a kid. No, this is going to be, was going to be my height. You know, it's just how it is. Um, So um, you can make your dog fat. You can't really make it bigger. Okay, so just make sure it's healthy, that its weight is proportionate with its height and uh, have it checked by your vet and you're good to go. Okay, nutrition is key at that point. All right, here's another uh, Facebook forum question. 
And actually, I think I'm going to read it directly from Facebook because I saved the screen capture. And um, okay. So not going to mention her name again because I don't want to put people on blast. But this is in the Connie Corso training forum, the uh, ECA uh, trainer. Okay. Someone please help. Our male Corso is seven months old and we haven't had any issues until we went out of town for five days. We allowed someone we thought we could trust to stay with him during that period in which we believed he developed separation anxiety. This person was instructed on the attention and mental stimulation he would need while we were gone and gave us their word that they would do so. I'm sure you can guess where I'm going. They didn't do half of what they were supposed to. Today, we went out running errands. He broke out of his kennel, literally managed to shimmy out of the top corner of his kennel, tear up the door and the blinds. There's a picture right here of the blinds that are just absolutely destroyed. Um, we're having issues with our pit showing aggression toward our male Corso as well. Any advice or suggestions for both issues will be more than appreciated. Thank you in advance. If this is allowed, please. Blah, blah, blah. Um, can anyone recommend a legitimate trainer in North Carolina? So um, first off, good. They're identifying that there are some issues that they might not be able to handle. Um, it's always good to consult a professional when it's a severe issue. Um, but you know me, Johnny Doe. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a big believer in trying to come up with solutions yourself. Um, I was telling my wife a couple days ago, it's like if you're wanting to redo the floor in your, in your kitchen or maybe a countertop, you don't have to be a professional contractor. You can hire a professional contractor and it'll probably get done right. Very efficient. Um, good work. Or you can learn to do it yourself. You'll probably make some mistakes. It'll probably be a lot slower. You'll have some growing pains. But if you can get through it, you're going to be that much more. One, it's going to be uh, you're, you're giving yourself a tool that now you can redo maybe your, your bathroom or redo your, you know, a, a bedroom or something like that. And you're going to get better and better the more you do it. And two, it's extremely gratifying to walk into your kitchen and know that, hey, I, I put those countertops and that floor in. And so there's two different types of people. Some people, they want to try to do it themselves because they're fulfilled by that and they want to challenge themselves. And some people just want the easiest solution, okay? So it really depends on whether or not you're wanting the easiest solution or you're wanting uh, fulfillment and the peace of mind knowing that you can solve the problem. So first off, um, I would be remiss to say this, remiss if I didn't say this. But I'm not trying to insult anyone out there in the Connie Corso community. But I'm going to assume that there are people, and I'm not saying it's this young lady here, but I'm going to assume that there's people out there that don't quite know what they got themselves into. Okay? And I'm talking to those people. And maybe I'm talking to someone that's a future Connie Corso owner right now. And I can tell you right now, um, when you are researching before you buy a dog, hopefully you're doing research on the breed and learning all of its traits, good and bad, what its propensity is, um, what it uh, has issues with, 
and you will quickly learn about Cane Corsos that many, 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 if not all, deal with some kind of separation anxiety. So much to the point where it's a major contributing factor of um, people's number one issue sometimes can be tied to not spending enough time with their with their Cane Corso because they get so attached to their owners. Okay? So, with that being said, I have a Cane Corso that will turn two. I got him at 11 weeks old. I haven't um, left him with anyone. Now, I'm in the military, so I've left for training a couple times. Uh, I'm non-deployable because the job that I have in the military, I don't go overseas, um, but I, I go away for training sometimes for two days, sometimes for two weeks. With that being said, uh, me or my wife are always here, not not that we don't ever leave. I just mean we don't leave them with any person. If we want to take a vacation and go visit family, then my wife goes, visits her family, or I go visit mine, or they come here. But we don't both go and then leave our dog with someone. Why? It's not that you can't. It's that there's always going to be consequences when you do that with this breed, especially when they are, let's see, how old is this dog? Seven months old. Okay, that's still a very new dog. Okay? So when you're researching Cane Corsos and you see that they have this, I want to just throw it out there. If you're not absolutely dedicated to spending a significant amount of time with your dog, in the first couple years, meaning you don't leave for... um, Let's see, hold on. Went out of town for five days. That's a long That's a long time. It really is. And it's still in its developmental stages. Okay, here's something else about Cane Corsos that you have to know. Is they are really not fully mature until about three years old. And so they, they remain a puppy a lot longer than a lot of dogs. So a seven-month-old puppy is still very much a puppy in its behavior and how it views the world and it's, you know, uh, where it's at in its fear stages and its socialization, all that stuff. You're, it's still very, very new to the world. So there's problem number one. It's, you know, like I said, I'm trying not to chastise and say, oh, you were stupid. You shouldn't left town. Because uh, it sounds like that they try to do the right thing and try to get somebody that was responsible. But the bottom line is this. Your dog is going to get to the point of even severe anxiety and depression when you leave it for even a number of hours a day. My dog did the exact same thing. I didn't crate train Romulus. But I would leave. So when I got Romulus, and I've told this story before, I took um, some weeks off. Uh, when I was housebreaking him. And then it went into um, spring break for my wife. And she was off because she's a school teacher. So we had a good month, our first month, where 
he wasn't alone in the house more than maybe half an hour, an hour by himself. No matter if he was in a crate or we had him, we actually uh, put him in my garage and and put it kind of a, a pin in there for him. So we didn't have him in a crate, but we had him in a confined area. And he would break out, he would tear up stuff, he would do all that stuff. Even if we were in the other room because he wanted to be with us. And we did that. And then once I went back to work, I would come home because I have a very flexible job, even though I'm in the military. Um, and, you know, I, I'm kind of cryptic because I don't like to divulge too much about what my job is, but I have a lot of flexibility. And so I would come home uh, throughout the day. I live about nine minutes away from where I work. And so I would come home um, every two hours, basically, and check up on him. And lo and behold, probably within 15 minutes of me leaving, he would start destroying his dog bed. Um, He would never like pee and poop in the house or anything, but he would just act like a wild dog and tear up shit. Tear up books, bookshelf. Um, He would take stuff off the shelf, bite it up, tear it up, all that stuff. And I knew it was about 15 minutes after I left because I had cameras in the house and I could watch him. And so... It took a while to get him comfortable with him understanding when I leave, I'm coming back. And so I would, every two hours, I would come back. And then after he started getting better and better, then it would be, I would just come back at lunch. And now I can, I can leave for, you know, if I'm away at training, my wife can't come home for lunch. He could be home by himself for eight hours, just him and my other dog. And it's not ideal. It really isn't. He's pacing around. He goes outside and barks at stuff because he has a dog door, but he doesn't tear anything up. And he's not, you know, uh, howling or crying or anything like that. He's, he's good. He just sits there, waits, looking sad. <laughs> but my point is that they're always going to be sad when you're not around. So if you did not do the proper training and from a early stage you're leaving them home, it's not going to work. For instance, my, do- my neighbors have a golden retriever. And they leave that dog and they just throw it in the backyard and they'll leave for uh, they'll leave for an entire weekend and someone just comes by and feeds the dog and kind of plays with it a little bit, but it's there all night. How do I know? Because it's outside barking all night, okay? And they're not home. And that dog will like dig holes and everything else in the backyard and they get mad at it and they don't understand why. And it's a golden retriever. A Connie Corso would lose its mind if you try to leave it overnight, don't do it. If you don't want to spend significant amount of time with your dog, go get a different breed. And I hate to, I hate to say it like that because everyone's lifestyle is different. And maybe you have the lifestyle that you're Connie Corso, uh, you're able to leave for the weekend and someone babysits and it's fine. But in my experience and the people I've talked to and the research I've done, that's very rare. And so you really have to take responsibility and say, okay, what am I willing to give up to have this dog? And what one of the things I give up is we leave our dog all the time. But there's a saying, and I got this from a one of my training uh, courses. You bond with a dog different than you bond with people, okay? A dog you bond with, it's about what you do with them. It's not what you do for them, okay? 
They don't care what you've done for them. Like if you have kids, you're like, hey, I paid for your school. I bought you a car. I provide a roof and shelter. And they're like, yeah, you do. I respect that. Dog doesn't give a shit about any of that. They care about what you do with them, how you interact with them. If you go on walks, if you train them, if they get to go on car rides, if they go on vacation with you, that's a Cane Corso. My Cane Corso, like I said, I bought a brand new vehicle, ripped the back seat out, and, and made a platform just for my dog so he's comfortable. Why? Because he rides with me everywhere. When I went, last time I went on vacation with my wife, we went to Yellowstone. I made sure to rent a cabin that accepted dogs, and I brought both my dogs with me. And they stayed in the cabin by themselves for an hour a day when we would go um, and, you know, just walk around the resort or we went to the cabin to get breakfast or something like that. Everything else we did with them. Okay, they were with us in, in the cabin. So if my wife wants to go home, um, fly back to see her mom and her sisters and stuff, then I need to make sure what I usually do is take off work. I'm not even gone throughout the day because I know that there's already going to be some anxiety. And so I tried to mitigate that. My wife does the same. If I got some training, she tries to take some personal days to just mitigate that. Now, at the end of the day, life happens and you might have to leave and things like that. But what I'm saying is if you do everything in your power to try to do everything with your dogs and treat them right, when you do have to leave, if you've slowly kind of opened that tap over months, if not years, then they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt as long as you don't abuse it. They're not going to just tear up the house every time. But you can't get this dog and all of a sudden just go, I'm going to leave it for five days and think that it's everything's going to be hunky-dory because it's not. It doesn't matter how much someone comes and plays with your dog if they just throw it in a kennel and then leave it and it's, and it's kind of traumatized because now when they come back, well, they are coming back, but not the person they're bonded to. And so that anxiety never leaves your dog. And so for five days, it's just compounding, compounding, compounding. Now this person's complaining when they go to the grocery store, their dog flips out. Well, it's because your dog doesn't understand that you're coming back because from an early stage, you left your dog. You left them for five days when you're still supposed to be going through that bonding time. Iconic Corso is different than your neighbor's collie or your friend's Labrador Retriever. It has a different connection with you. And I titled this podcast The Connie Corso Experience because I wanted to focus on Connie Corso ownership because it is so incredibly unique from all the other dog breeds that I've had. Listen to my last episode. I've had dogs for 30 years and I've had, you know, half a dozen different breeds. And most of them had similar traits, except my Connie Corso. There are certain things that are similar with other dogs, but man, they're they're a unique breed. So that's tip number one is <laughs> you've got to prioritize your life. And I'm telling you, if you're one of those new Connie Corso owners, if you think that you're just going to stick your dog in a kennel and for eight hours a day and not bond with your dog when you're when you are home and not slowly trying to work your way up to that eight hours a day, or you're going to go on vacation and just have someone come check on your dog, you're wrong. You're, you are not going to have a well-behaved dog in most cases. 
like I said, there's always anomalies. There's always, you know, so I, I don't want to say never, but I'm telling you, most people will have some behavior issues with their dogs when they're leaving them home for any significant amount of time, especially when you're establishing that as a, at a young age, especially kind of courses. They're there to be around you 24 seven because they want to protect you and they will freak out if they're not, if you're not there. Now, like I said, my dog now he does fantastic. He now he does have a little battle buddy, my little bulldog, and um, I do come home for lunch every day. But I haven't had an issue with him tearing up stuff for probably about a year. He used to tear up his bed. There for a while, he would tear up like our stuff, like anything he could reach, like a book, mainly books on bookshelves. Um, trying to remember what else, like a bo- you know, shoe boxes. Um, We'd find our shoes outside, even, you know, uh, chewed up a couple shoes and a couple other, you know, like belts and stuff like that. Then he went through a phase where he just tore up his stuff. So his bed, he would just just tear it up. I went through, I I can't tell you how many dog beds I went through in a couple month period because he just got pissed and would tear up dog beds. I'd watch him, I'd have him on camera just dragging this dog bed all over the living room, just stuffing flying everywhere. And now he just lays there. It It's so gratifying to know that I am, my dog is content because when I put on my, my army uniform in the morning and I'm putting my boots on, he just goes and lays down in his bed and I open the front door. He didn't even look up. Now, right now it's the weekend. If I put my shoes on, he would freak out and start getting excited. If I open the door, he would try to run out it um, unless I gave him a command to stop. But my point is he would he would think he's going with me. So I have sectionalized my life where he sees that, hey, this when this is going on, when I got my uniform, I got my backpack, I'm getting my coffee ready, don't expect to go with me. But the reward is every other time, if I'm just going to the grocery store, he's coming with me. If I'm going to um, to go shop, even if I'm going to be, get this, I could go into Walmart for 45 minutes. My dog will just wait for me in the back of the car, not even bark because he's with me. He knows that that I get out of that car, I'm going somewhere, and I'm coming right back. He's good. He'd rather be sit in the back seat for 45 minutes than be in his comfortable house for the exact same period of time. So I bring him with me everywhere I go. Um, so just keep that in mind. It's very, very hard to do any other training if you don't have that bond with your Connie Corso because if they don't respect you, it's hard to get anything out of this dog. So um, not trying to chastise you if you're listening to this, but just know that, yeah, it's great. Get a professional trainer, but just know at some point if they're not an expert in Connie Corsos, um, they're not going to give you the keys to the castle and there is no easy fix. You can't just go, hey, um, tell me, um, you know, how to fix this problem. And it's just, they're going to be able to fix it. It's, it's, it's mad. Why do you think that it's, it's uh window blinds in the door that the dog tore up? Cause they're upset that you left. Okay. It's trying to tell you something. And unfortunately what it might be telling you is you might've got the wrong breed of dog because I had a bulldog, an old English bulldog that I remember I would, I would bring him to a buddy's house and then we would go out to dinner and my dog's never been to that house before. And I go, Rocky, lay down. And I would leave for like four or five hours, come back. He'd still be laying in the same spot. 
that dog you could leave for 12 hours in a house. He, he didn't even care. <laughs> I mean, he was just the most laid back dog and he didn't have anxiety. He wouldn't be overly excited when you came home. He didn't pee in the house. He didn't tear things up. He was just, he was just a chill dog. Um, and maybe you could get lucky enough to have a kind of Corso like that, but I would be willing to bet that there's not too many of those out there, if any, because that's just not a trait of the breed. The, how you get the most out of a guardian breed is they have to be bonded with their family. And especially a kind of Corso, they, even, even more severely, they bond with one person. And if you're that one person, more significantly than the other family members, if you're that one person, if you leave for a period of time, it's going to be rough on your dog. Okay? Just know that. All right. Here's the other question. Um, I need some advice or tips. I love my girl so much. She's four-year-old, four, four and for the most part, she listens extremely well. My issue with her is when she gets in her guard mode, she will snap at me and my fiancé if we try to redirect her. It's more so a problem in the car. We barely let her go for rides anymore because she tries to attack everyone, capital letters, through the windows. We could never have her in the car with the kids because she would stomp all over them to try to get whatever uh, may be passing by and, of course, snap at us if we try to grab her or tap her to knock, uh, tap her to knock it off. We want to be able to redirect her without being snapped at. She has literally turned around and snarled at me in the car while in her guard mode, and I am definitely not afraid of her. That, and while I'm definitely not afraid of her, that did scare me. It's like she's not realizing that it's us touching her in the moment. We live in a city, so the streets are always very busy. She's fine on leash walking around and at the dog park, but is extremely aggressive in the car. No one can get near near it at all. We want to be able to let her go on car rides and have it peaceful. Uh, it's very stressful for us. Any tips? Okay. So this is definitely something you, you might need to get a professional for. Okay. Why? Because there's lots of steps involved. Like I said, I'm no expert and I don't claim to be, but I, I do deal with this myself. My dog loves to bark at people uh, when we're inside the car, but it's usually when the car's moving. It's, it's really weird. Okay. Um, and it's usually when I'm in the car, I've, um, I've noticed that, you know, I've observed him when I'm outside the car and he's just chilling in the back seat. But if he sees people walking up to the car, he will definitely bark. And that's a normal trait. Uh, but just first, you got to identify what's happening here. It's definitely resource guarding. Okay. Um, it's saying this is my territory. I need to keep everyone back. The alarming thing to me is not that they're barking at people and snapping. Now, the snapping is um, my dog barks. He doesn't try to bite. He doesn't show it. He doesn't bare his teeth. Okay. So. I, okay, this isn't, like I said, I'm not a professional, but this is how I categorize it. When a dog is um, in a guardian mode, okay, it barks, it alerts, okay? It might have aggressive posture, all that stuff. When it's baring its teeth and it's snarling and biting, that's an attack mode. That's the difference between an attack dog and a guard dog. I want a guard dog. 
I don't want an attack dog. And so I am very lucky that I have had lots of behavior issues with Romulus, but it's always guardian-based. It's never attack-based, if using that analogy. He doesn't bare his teeth. He didn't snarl, okay? And he has never bit or snarled at me. I can tell you right now, it's a huge problem. If your dog, any dog, bears its teeth at you or snarls or snaps at you. It's definitely a problem if it doesn't even care that when you're in the car and it it will hurt you to get to something else. That's not good. Now, obviously, Johnny, I posted it on Facebook. I know it's not good. Got it. What do you do about it? Well, first, remember what I talked about at the beginning of the show where I had to go back and retrain Romulus on some things that I thought that he had locked in, but he didn't. Well, that's the case here as well. You thought you had your dog trained to this to the standpoint of that it's bonded with you and it sees you as the alpha. It sees you as the pack leader. It does not. It does not respect you. It does not fear you. It does not care about what command you give it because it's one thing for a dog to ignore you because it's such in such a heightened state that's a somewhat normal thing. But if you get in its face and it goes after you, you have a problem. For instance, Romulus, uh, his last vet visit, he was doing fine, but you know everyone's wearing a mask and everything. He was fine out in the lobby. He was greeting everybody. Everyone was petting him. He was good. He came into the in the room, little tiny room. Lady walks in with a mask. He was fine. Then my creepy vet comes around the corner and he kind of peeks his head in and walks real slowly like he was tiptoeing. And you can't do that with a kind of corso and it kind of set Romulus off. Then I had to put a muzzle on him because that's just the policy of this vet, any large dog. And he wasn't muzzle trained. He still isn't. And he freaked out. One thing led to another and he just went, ballistic. I held him down um, for the vet to check him and held his mouth um, when we were first getting the muzzle on. And then later we end up sedating him because we had to x-ray him and stuff for his uh, dysplasia stuff. But my, but the point that I'm trying to make is the entire time that I'm holding him back and I was even holding his mouth and trying to turn his head to look at me so I can give him a command. He never once bit my hand. He never once tried to bite me. He never once anything. And he didn't bare his teeth at the vet. He didn't do it. He was just guard. He was he was scared is what it was. F- you know, um, and dogs can bite out of fear. I'm not saying they wouldn't have bit the vet if he didn't have a muzzle or if the vet pressed it or whatever else. But what I'm saying is he never once even thought about in a million years biting me or not listening to me. He was scared. Um, so we're working on that issue now. But with this... When you tap your dog and it turns around and and lunges at you or growls at you, I can tell you right now, right, wrong, or indifferent, you better, you. it's one of those cases that it might not be popular in the dog world. I don't know if it is or not. But what would another dog, let me ask you this, okay? For all you naysayers out there that will push back at this type of training. If you had two dogs in the same pack, one was alpha, 
and the other one wasn't. And that alpha dog was trying to give a correction to the non-alpha dog. And the non-alpha dog, one of the lower pack members, turned around and bared its teeth and threatened the alpha. What would the alpha do? Well, I can tell you right now, if you're the alpha or you think you are and you back down, you just showed that dog that you're not the alpha. What that alpha would do is it would dominate the other dog, meaning put it in, put in, putting it in submissive posture and probably giving it a mouth bite or something more severe. Now, dogs, when they're doing the dominant stuff, they're not trying to kill each other, but they're not afraid of hurting each other to assert their dominance till the other one submits. You clearly have not done this and you've skipped a step in the bonding process and you skipped a step in the discipline process. And this is a very common trait for people that are a little bit more soft-spoken, especially when they have a breed like a Cane Corso, is they ask, they don't tell. I talked about this in the last episode where my wife sometimes will go like, no, no, when I'm like, no, there's a difference. Okay, if I talk to my dog regular, regular voice, Romulus, 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 all I have to do is Romulus, and all of a sudden, that, that changes. He sees the pitch change. If you practice that, then they understand the difference between a regular Romulus and a Romulus. And so if you can't be like, no, 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 because it's not the no, it's, it's more the, 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 the cadence in your voice, the volume and the directness in your body posture when you're saying it. All those things are important when you are uh, especially doing any kind of negative reinforcement with your dog. And so you have to have a clear delineation of a hard no and a hard correction. And if you did that as a puppy where you did not give it any, no, 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 don't bite, no, 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 you gave it a hard correction, no, a hard no, and maybe a mouth bite, meaning you took your hand and squeezed their mouth or you put them in submissive posture, you have to do that to certain dogs or they will test you. And if they test you and you back down, guess what you just did? You just trained them to do that, to get to get their way. What you did was no different than when I give Romulus a treat when he does uh, the command that I asked for him. What you did is you got in that dog's face and said no, and that dog turned and bared, bared its teeth. And so by you... Um, recoiling and going, oh, I'm scared. That dog goes, oh, cool. Next time that they get in my space and I don't want them there, all I have to do is bare my teeth and I get what I want. My dog, he knows that, and like I say, he's never bared his teeth, but when I tell him to lay down, if he doesn't do it, I will lay him down. And that hasn't had to happen in a long time. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had to throw him down. But I'm telling you, sometimes you do. Now, you can't do it out of anger. You can't try to hurt the dog. But make no mistake, if you have a 60-pound dog, it might be hard to throw them down, but it's going to be a lot harder when they're 120 pounds or 150 pounds like mine. So now, like, for instance, today at the dog park, I'm trying to do some training with Romulus to stay calm when there's other dogs around. So one of the things I do is because he is very dominant. When there's other dogs walking by, I put him in submissive posture as they walk by to keep him calm, 
because I don't want him uh, lurk, you know, in a aggressive stance. I don't want him laying down looking because that's like a dog ready to pounce or chase something. So you put him in submissive posture, and that's you know that that's sometimes a little bit better because they're they're in a defenseless position, so to speak. So they have to kind of submit. I tell him, Romulus, sit. Romulus, down. Romulus, over. Romulus, all the way down. That's how I get the command sequence to get him in submissive posture. Well, how did I get him to do that initially? He didn't want to initially. I had to make him do it when he was a puppy. Well, he knows if he ignores me, it will happen. I will put him in submission posture and I will hold him there until he submits. There is absolutely no question who the alpha is in my house. And I've gotten criticism before um, from a couple people that they didn't like my aggression. And they said, you can't do that to a Kane Corso. You can't be overly aggressive with this breed. I'm telling you right now, if you think being aggressive is putting your dog on its side in submissive posture is aggressive. That is not aggressive. That's exactly what its mother would do. That's exactly what other pack members will do or have done. Once again, if you're not willing to do that, you might have gotten the wrong breed of dog. Because if you have, I'm telling you right now, everyone always plans on getting the best. And oh, it's so well behaved. And oh, I don't have any issues with it. You have to assume that you're going to get the worst. And I'm telling you, if you get the most stubborn Conant Corso, you will have to manhandle your dog at some point. The first time that it resource guards or anything, I'm not saying that you beat it up or hurt it. That's I'm saying the opposite. For its own protection, it has to understand that it needs to submit. And so before you can train it to not bark at something on the outside of your car, you have to let it know where the pecking order is. So you got to back up about five steps before you can even address what the issue is. Because the issue, to me, is that is a symptom of the overlying issue that your dog has no respect for anybody in your house. For instance, tell your dog to, to go lay down. Okay, here's, here's a little trick that everybody can do at home. Go tell your dog to lay down. When it doesn't, stand up and lower your voice and go lay down. And if your dog's body posture does not change, where ears down, tail down, eyes big, head down, then it does not see you as the pack leader. It sees you as a pack member. You know, if you stand up and go go to your bed and it just kind of looks at you, <laughs> hate to tell you this, but you better go back to step one. My dog tests me all the time, but that's all... The the most correction I have to do to my dog now is stand over them and point sometimes. I mean, he's not going to, if I tell him to go lay down and he doesn't, I get up and I walk toward him with a very dominant posture. Trust me, he's got his head down and he's walking over to his bed and laying down. That's all it takes, people. But I'm telling you right now, 
if you wait till your dog is 150 pounds to for the first time to put him in submissive posture, well, now you got a fight on your hands. You have to establish this stuff as a puppy because you watch what happens when, let's say you have a problem with your dog biting you way too much. It's too mouthy. Well, that's usually a symptom of removing it from its litter mates too early because who teaches a dog not to bite hard? It's litter mates because it will yelp. And a dog viscerally knows what a yelp means. Oh God, I was trying to play. I didn't mean to hurt this dog. Or the dog will come back and attack it or bite it and make it yelp. So it understands, it learns that. It also learns if it bites its mother's nipple when it's trying to get milk or it's too rough with the mother, the mother will correct it. If the mother says, no, uh, you're done feeding for the day and the dog still tries to go after the milk, the, the, the mother dog will snap at the dog, will mouth bite it, will grab it by the neck sometimes and hold it down until it submits. If you cannot simulate what it would naturally get from its mother or an alpha pack member, then you're doing your dog a disservice later in life if it has behavior issues because you don't have that baseline where it respects you enough to want to listen to your commands. So it's difficult for some people, but I'm saying if you care about your dog, nothing's off the table when it comes to that. Like I said, not abusive. Don't hit your dog. Never spank them. Never smack them on the butt. I don't do any of that crap. You can kick them in the sense of like, watch Caesar Milan, how he does. It's just a redirect because it snaps them out of whatever state that they're in. Kind of hit them with in the hip with your shoe, you know, with your foot. You're, it's not a kick, but you you tap them. You can do the same thing with your hand. You see Caesar do it like a, the, the mouth bite or do it on the neck. And he kind of does that like that. You want to break them out of that state of mind that they're in. But it never hurts them is what I'm saying. It should never hurt them. Or like I said, you put them in submissive posture. But you should never. I mean, if your dog, if you stand up and say, get to your bed and it growls at you, you got problems. I'm not saying that you can't solve them, but you got to be willing to go there. You know, so um, I'm sure I'll get some uh, hate mail over that one. But there's some people, they just, like I said, they don't understand what they've gotten themselves into. And if you you see people that have problems with dogs resource guarding or being food aggressive with them, there's a reason for that. And you need to look at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are not providing guidance to your dog so it understands who's in charge if your dog thinks that it's in charge you're in for a long ownership experience with this breed all right um so we kind of let's see uh, we talked about anxiety um yeah so let's move on to the last couple topics. Um, so I always try to show people some resources that I look at, okay? And sometimes it's professionals, but it's sometimes it's other owners just like myself. And so the, I found a channel on YouTube a while back, and it's not a very big channel, very small channel. It only gets maybe a couple thousand views per video, but it's probably one of the absolute best 
Cane Corso owner owner's channels on YouTube. This guy has a f- you know, some phenomenal talent with training dogs. And he's relatively new at it in the sense of he's not a professional or anything like that. But the dude um, acts like a professional. Um, so if you go to YouTube and put in Jello Vibes, J-E-L-L-O-V-I-B-E-S, Jello Vibes, he has a, a Connie Corso named Uso, and he has another Connie Corso he just got, I can't remember, and he has a Doberman. But he does some really good training. And what I like about his channel more than anything is he shows you the process. He shows failures. He shows some flaws in his dog, his dog um, being food aggressive. But he shows like multiple videos of that food aggression and how he's fixing it and he's doing the exact correct thing. He's not hurting his dog. He's not manhandling. He's not even doing the submissive posture. He's showing other methods. Now, there's not just one method to use, but he's doing it uh, correctly. But you can tell he's very much the alpha as well. He, you know, his dog is his best friend and it always has to start with that. You, you, you have to be your dog's best friend, but understand what a friend to a dog is. It isn't weakness. Your best friend in the human world, you might n- never criticize them and you only give them positive encouragement. That's not what dogs need. They need guidance. They need discipline. They need structure. Um, so check out uh, Jello Vibes and tell me what you think because, like I said, he's a small channel, just like this is an extremely small podcast. But um, he's not—he doesn't have some of the content that some of the pe- other people have. The sensationalized, uh, just showing like all these advanced tricks. No, he shows you the process, and he talks about the importance of certain uh, a certain things of everything from socialization to obedience to. Hell, he was training his dog in the rain just to, because it's he had to, the dog had to be more disciplined because it was raining and it didn't want to be out in the rain. Some really unconventional stuff, but from an owner's standpoint, it's not a professional training someone else's dogs because I, I don't like those videos. Why? Because it just shows this dog in a sterile environment with a muzzle, with a trainer. It doesn't show two weeks later while it's back at home with the owner if that stuff ever stuck. So I'm not saying it doesn't. What I'm saying is I'm not interested in what a professional does in his professional training environment. I want the dog in my bedroom to listen and for that training to be meaningful down the road. Okay. So Jello vibes on YouTube. Okay. So the last thing I want to talk about is some current goals I have for Romulus. So I was talking about before, you know, we, we got the goal of the heel, his heel work, um, and reinforcing his fundamentals are right now our goals that we're working on. It's important when, you, when you're doing any kind of training regimen that you have goals. You're not just going through the motions. You say, okay, this is where I'm at now, and this is where I want to get go and do what we call in the military a uh, reverse planning model. And, and then figure out what steps you got to take each day, each week, each month to get to those long-term goals. But it's important that you have those goals. So right now, that's all we're doing is we're trying to lock down all his fundamentals where there's no gaps, meaning that I cannot mess him up where he gets confused on what I'm telling him to do. Because how can I get mad at him? Let's say he's barking at, uh, at somebody when he's in the back seat and I give him a correction and he ignores me. Is it because that he's not he's not listening or did I not training correctly? So I need to get him to the point 
where I know he's trained properly so that way it's easier to give him reward or redirection or even corrective action with a um, prong collar or putting him in submissive posture or making him go, you know, take away a resource, go lay down somewhere he doesn't want to lay down, something like that. Okay, that's what I mean by corrective action. It's never being mean or hitting your dog. I would never hit my best friend, okay? Um, so right now, that is the biggest goals. And my other goal that I'm currently working on is just, and I alluded to already, is trying to get his nutrition dialed in. My dog does have some health issues with his elbow dysplasia. So making sure that he has the proper fats, fatty acids especially, um, but also glucosamine and even CBD supplements, making sure that he's happy, healthy. His exercise routine, we have dialed in finally. We just have to make sure that he's getting um, this, the proper nutrition to uh, replenish him when he's you know resting and, and all that stuff. Uh, a healthy dog is a happy dog. Happy dog makes a happy owner. Happy owner means you have a happy life and you have a great story to tell one day when um, years later when you're telling people how great dogs are, okay? So those are our current goals that we're working on is it's extremely important um, that, that uh, I keep working diligently on those things and being focused on those. I have some other training I would love to do with Romulus, but I want to focus on the fundamentals before we get too much into advanced stuff. Because like I said, if you don't have that good foundation, that good structure, then everything else is going to be weak later on. Okay. And the last thing I want to say is I always, um, I, and I don't always end like this, but I, I'm trying to um, mention in every single podcast that some of the 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 failures that we have as our our Connie Corso family or some blind spots that we have. And sometimes it's not even anything that you're doing wrong. Just know this. When you're owning a dog, uh, especially like a Connie Corso, you're going to have days where it's just a rotten day or a day where your dog loses focus or makes a mistake or and sometimes you're hard on yourself. That stuff's going to happen. Learn from it. And move forward. And I want to mention mine because sometimes I get very, you know, preachy about make sure you do this, make sure you do that. But just know that I'm, like I said, I'm not a professional and I'm definitely not perfect. We have our own issues and definitely Romulus has a lot of work to do, as do I. And I want to talk about Frankenpup. Who's Frankenpup? Well, I have an English bulldog and I've alluded before that, that sometimes him and Romulus get into it a little bit. And Romulus is usually gives him a little correction and is pretty gentle. Um, recently, um, Romulus gave uh, gave him a little bit of more of a bigger bite. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened because I think that they were fighting over attention because they don't ever get into it when we're not here. It's always right when we come home. Their energy level's too high. And we can't redirect it in time. I think my wife was was uh, had some groceries. And it's usually, I hate to say it, but my bulldog, Bruno, a lot of times does not, he doesn't like his status as being a lower pack member. And sometimes he's um, he fights that with Romulus. And like I said before, what happens 
to a lower pack member when it stands up to the alpha, it gets a correction. And when you're like, oh, you can't hurt your dog by by holding it down. Well, if my dog, um, if they were trained perfectly and they understood that they're not allowed to correct each other, then I wouldn't have a Franken-pup. <laughs> and I call Franken-pup is because my bulldog had a severe bite on his head and we had to go get him staples in his head from one Cane Corso bite. That's how powerful that they are. One bite and my dog got staples in his forehead and right next to his eyeball where he got bit. Um, these dogs are no joke. Dogs in general are no joke, but Cane Corsos, they're, you know, they're, if, if they decide that they want to run the show with the other dogs, um, my biggest mistake was not training my bulldog earlier to understand that it's not alpha. Because before we had Romulus, we kind of let our bulldog do it, do it at once, do whatever it wants. It jumped up on the couch. It came over to us. It would beg for food, all that stuff. And the, we trained the Cane Corso before we trained the bulldog, and the Cane Corso did not like that it looked like it was getting alpha positioning from us um, when it felt like it was the alpha pack member um, when it came to them. I shouldn't say alpha because I'm alpha. My wife's alpha. Um, we're the pack leaders. But um, you saw that Cane Corsos like to redirect energy if dogs have uncontrollable energy sometimes. And my bulldog, instead of being corrected, it it bites and it lunges and it and it attacks my Cane Corso. And it never winds up good for my bulldog. Um, he's been bit up before, but usually it's um, something we can just clean and put some Neosporin on, no big deal. But, you know, this time it, it was a little bit more significant. Um, if he submits right away, he didn't even get bit, you know. But this time, like I said, uh, bulldogs are crazy. They have high pain tolerance and they don't give a shit. They really don't. They there's a reason why, you know, the pit bull was crossed with the with the English bulldog because of their tenacity and they have such a high pain tolerance, okay? Um that's what made the pit bull. So the aggressiveness of a pit bull actually came from old bulldogs, not the current bulldogs, but the older ones, okay? From like a couple hundred years ago. So with that being said, that is something that um, you know, it's, it's part of dog ownership. They get along. Like I said, they're, they're, they're not, neither one of them are kenneled and they're home all by themselves during the day at night, everything else. And we separate them. We have, they have their, their dog beds, but we don't separate them by kennel or anything. We're, we're trying to get them to respect each other's territory. And, uh, but we do have to play with them apart because, uh, my bulldog gets, he's just one of those very aggressive players. He growls and, 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 and he gets very overzealous when he plays. Um, but he's, he's very dog aggressive toward other dogs. And uh, Romulus doesn't like that energy. Where Romulus gets along with other dogs, except dog, uh, those dogs that don't get along with dogs, if that makes sense. So um, not trying to blame the bulldog, but that is... That is usually the, the problem is we just need to focus on making sure that he is obedient. And I would say 29 out of 30 days he is. Every once in a while, he just goes, 
today's the day I think I'm going to up my status in the pack. And it just didn't work out for him. So um, I put up a picture of him on Romulus's Instagram. If you go to the Cane Corso X on Instagram, you'll see Frankenpup Bruno. <laughs> He's fine, though. He didn't even care. Um, so, yeah, you can check me out on Instagram or the Cane Corso Experience on Facebook, Johnny Doe on Facebook, um, which you'll see the Cane Corso Experience logo is my profile picture. Um, you can go to afootpodcast.com to download the podcast directly or iTunes, Spotify. Obviously, you found it or you wouldn't be listening to it. But this has been an extremely um, detailed and long podcast. I want to thank everyone um, that's a fan, that's a listener, that contributes by reaching out to me in between podcasts that has questions. I am not an expert at anything except my dog and my family. Um, I do this podcast for a hobby, out of fun, out of the love for the breed, and the love of dog ownership. I love my dog so much, and I know how much more uh, gratifying your experience of dog ownership is if you have that good bonded connection through discipline, through training, through mutual experiences and respect. And so that's what I want you guys to get as well. Thank you for joining me. Um, as always, be kind to man's best friend. And until next time, Johnny Doe signing out. Peace. Ah, ah.